This is the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and the people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one who you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from, from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We give thanks to God for His Word. Let's pray. Father, once again, we turn to Your Word. Your Word is living, it's powerful, and and yet we need your help, the help of your Holy Spirit, just to work out what it means, what it's saying to us right now. So give us listening ears, give us the concentration we need, and as we wrestle with the text, we pray we will be blessed and you will be honored. Speak, Lord, your people need you and your people are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so far in our series in John, we have been exposed to some very powerful thoughts and powerful truths, some crucial, important theology. Now, we don't have time to go over all these things, but two, I think, are important for us to think about. Two musts in chapter three. You must be born again, and Jeff mentioned that uh, at the beginning of his prayer of intercession. This new birth, this regeneration, this being born from above. By nature, of course, uh, because of sin, we're dead and we're lost. We need this new birth. And then the second must is in verse 14. The Son of Man must be lifted up. In other words, we need a substitute for the sin problem that we have. And Jesus uses an analogy of the bronze servant, a serpent in Numbers 21, and just as the serpent was lifted up and people who had repented and believed could see that and they would be healed and would live, so the Son of Man will be lifted up onto a cross 
so that people like us might be saved as our substitute pays the price of our sin. So we have these two musts. You must be born again, and the Son of Man must be lifted up. A new heart is what Jesus offers you today. A new heart is what He's given to you today if you're, if you're His. But He also promised to pay the price of our sin. You must be born again. You must be saved from your sins through the death of the Son of Man. Two beautiful, gracious gifts, forgiven, cleansed, a new status for time, a new status for eternity. Change. We're talking about radical change. Change for now in time. Change for eternity. Eternity significant change. This is essential teaching. That's why we go through it slowly. This is not some secondary issue. This is a primary issue of great significance. And so the should be a real sense of urgency in our own hearts. I, I don't know everybody here today. I, I know most of you. I know many of you know salvation, but there may be some here who don't. I, I say to you, there is a great sense of urgency here. For you and for your family, for your friends, for our whole world, the must of the new birth, the must of our, the substitutionary sacrifice. I hope you know that sense of urgency. The remaining of uh, the verses in chapter 3 deal with our response, I suppose, to this kind of teaching, to these uh, two musts. After being born again, and after having our sins forgiven by our substitute, how do we see ourselves? And more importantly, how do we see Jesus? That's really what we're thinking about today. How do we see ourselves? And how do we see Jesus? Let's think of that first one. Who are we? Who are we? Well, the context is the growing rivalry between the disciples of John the Baptist on one hand and the disciples of Jesus on the other and it seems as if the disciples of John the Baptist were getting a little bit frustrated. Morale in their team was, was uh, low. Because, you see, Jesus is busy with his disciples teaching and also baptizing. Notice that in verse 22. Jesus and disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. John was also busy, verse 23 and 24. He continued his ministry, so these two ministries were going on side by side almost. But John's disciples were getting a little bit cranky and a little bit critical. You'll notice they, they get into an argument with some Jews in verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. That's not just a bit, a bit of padding there. It means that they were just getting that wee bit agitated and cranky. You know the way we can sometimes when we're annoyed and frustrated? We start arguing with people. So they argue with the Jew in 25, and then they start pointing their fingers at Jesus in verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, you can sense that man, 
that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone, everyone's going to him. You can sense the self-pity, can't you? And there's exaggeration. I mean, everyone is going to him. Well, they weren't. But you get the picture, don't you? Sean, Rabbi, what are you going to do? Your ministry is in decline. Your ship is sinking. The train's left and you're not on it. Jesus is taking over. What are you going to do? You can feel the hurt, can't you? The tension, the wounded egos, the confusion. Now, John the Baptist could have been sucked into uh, denominational warfare. He could have started, you know, uh, accusing Jesus of sheep stealing. Because, you know, it's not easy watching someone in ministry do a better job than you do if pride fills your heart. However, if humility fills your heart, watching somebody else do ministry better than you, then you welcome it. And sometimes there's this war that can go on in our hearts as we look on at what goes on, even within a congregation, but certainly in maybe other congregations, this war between pride and humility. And, and while John the Baptist wasn't a perfect man, I think we can see humility here. We see him destroy the evil of pride. Now, this is so relevant because every single one of us knows, or at least should know, that there can be a jealous party spirit between churches. And there also can be a jealous party spirit even within churches. The world, you see, is, is full of self-focused pride. Pride probably is the number one sin in our world, and far too often, and very easily, it just slips into the church. In fact, pride is one of the, the socially accepted sins in our churches these days. Pride. Don't you dare tell me what to do. Don't you dare expect me. Why are they getting a rule and not me? Me, 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 me. This socially accepted sin in many churches, Jesus does not find it acceptable at all. Jesus says, actually, we're to deny self. It means we're to slay self. We're to take up the cross daily and follow him. And when we do that, basically we're saying no to me and yes to Jesus every day in the church and in the rest of life. And in reality, that's what John the Baptist did. So he wasn't a wuss, a loser who couldn't stand up for himself. He's a wise man who knows who he is and he's a wise man who knows who Jesus is. I mean, do you know who you are? 
Can any of us stand up this morning and say, do you know what? There's far, far too much of Jesus in me and not enough of me in me. Could anybody stand up and say that? There's far, far too much of Jesus in me and far too little of me in me. Nobody's going to stand up? See, John the Baptist got it right when he realized who he was. And so must we. Let's get to the text. Because notice what he says in verses 26 and 27. He says, basically, my role is given. That's what John says, verse 26 and 27. Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you're testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, to this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. He's saying there basically, you know, I'm a herald. I'm a messenger. He's the message. He's doing his job. I'm doing my job. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. Now, picture what was going on here, because up to this particular moment, John the Baptist was the man on the scene. He was the radical preacher. Repent was his message. Um, Turn from your sin. Again and again was his message. Believe in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he testified to over and over again. And John the Baptist preached the word. And he preached the word to the world. But he also preached the word to Judaism, God's people, the church. So in other words, he preached to those inside the church and those outside of the church. And the thing is, he was very popular because people could see, do you know what? This guy, John, what he says makes an awful lot of sense. When he speaks, he speaks wisdom. When he speaks, he speaks truth. They could sense all that he said was right. Because these people were not stupid. (laughs) They weren't primitive. They could see all around them this emptiness, even within their own hearts, this perhaps this this depression, this dissatisfaction. They could see it all. They could see the result of sin all around them, and they craved for, they demanded, they wanted, they were searching for some kind of answer. And John comes and gives the answer, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And they travel from all over the land to come and hear him and respond to him. Hundreds, thousands made that journey. As one of the commentators says, he was the Billy Graham of his day. If you're too young to understand that, Billy Graham was a great evangelist to travel all over the world. He was the Billy Graham of the day. And then, of course, the Lamb of God comes. And John's popularity decreased. And his disciples come to him and said, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it, John? 
And his answer is in verse 27. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. I can only do what I have received grace to do, he says. Jesus can only do what he has received authority and grace to do. See, John the Baptist was not milking human applause. He was doing what he was asked to do. He was doing what he was gifted to do. And so for us, there's an application, is there not? Because here and now, in this place, at this time, we are part of what God is doing. And I hope you know the privilege of that because there's countless tens of thousands in our county and hundreds of thousands in our land who do not know that privilege or do not understand that privilege. We have the privilege of serving and speaking and sharing. We have the privilege of loving and being and doing. We have the privilege of getting down on our knees and getting our hands dirty and giving and giving and giving until it hurts and speaking until we breathe our last and loving right to the very end. That is our privilege. A man, a woman can receive only what is given him from heaven. We're not here to steal glory. We're not here to drive our own agenda. We're not here to be popular necessarily. We're not here to create power and riches for ourselves. We are here for him. We're here to do what he's asked us to do. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And John the Baptist knew that. My role is given. Your role is given, folks. Your role is given. Do not feel. Do not feel. Do not feel to fulfill your role. Whatever your role is, play it because it's been given to you, given from heaven. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. The second thing he says, my role is to be the best man. Hence the children's address this morning. Verse 28, he says, you yourselves can testify that I said, and this is John speaking, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. His message, you see, was always about Jesus. Do you remember back in chapter 1, verse 23? I am a voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. And in many ways, we are to fulfill that same role as we wait for Jesus to return. We're in a similar kind of position here. John was preaching, preparing for Jesus to come the first time, then we are actually preparing time for his second coming. And so what are we to be as we wait for Jesus to return? Well, we are to be a voice in the desert of this generation. We are to make a way in the wilderness of our culture. Our culture is broken. It's like a dry desert. It's like a wild world. And it needs people like us to prepare the way to point to Jesus and his return. We need to tell people, get ready. He is coming. 
this gospel message must shape our gospel culture. It's, it should be the thing that drives us as a congregation, as, as families and as individuals. Our, our job is not to impress people, you know. Our job is not to try and manipulate people or, or to create a fan club. No, we humbly give ourselves to God and we serve Him. Jesus is the changer, you see. He's the saver and changer of our souls and of our world, only Him, and that's why we point to Him. Don't exalt me, He says. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. He knew who He was. I wonder, do we? I wonder, do we know the importance of us having a gospel culture here where we believe the gospel to be true, we believe that Jesus is returning, and we will do all that we can to prepare the way for Him, to point people to Him. Every opportunity we have, not standing on, on a, um, uh, some kind of platform shouting and yelling at people and abusing them. No, graciously sharing with them the beauty of Jesus and the power of the gospel and the reality of life after death. See, the only one and the only thing worth investing in, the only one worth giving our lives up for is Jesus. We need to believe and we need to live. We, we need to slay self-focused pride. We need to stop thinking that our only job here is to make money and to and to spend it on what makes us happy. We need to see that we need to get low and stay low and be humble and glorify Jesus and invite others to come to know him. I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. And then he goes on, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend, the best man, who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. What we have here is another example of the beautiful picture of, of God being the groom of his people, and his people being the bride. It's full, it's all over the place in the Bible, Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 62. Um, I had both here for this morning. I think we read Isaiah 54 as our call to worship. So here we're seeing this picture that John is painting for us that Jesus is the groom, that the church is the bride, and John has the privilege of being the best man. And he listens for and to the voice of the groom, and his joy is in him. He's content with that. He doesn't want to be the groom. He just wants to be the best man and serve the groom and serve the bride. And you know what the gospel is, folks? The gospel is an invitation into a love story of romantic marriage. The gospel is a love story, an invitation to a, of a love story into a romantic marriage. You know, Almost 30 years ago, Pauline and I got married. It's been the best 30 years of her life, hasn't it? <laughs> and mine too. But a greater love story, a greater love story than Alistair and Pauline is the love story of Jesus and you, Jesus and us. Jesus is the groom, we are the bride. John the Baptist is the best man, and his joy, you see that? That, this, that joy is mine, and it is now complete. He said, the, my joy is to see people, people 
being swept up in the love of God and brought into his glorious salvation. He says, that's my joy as the best man. Not a hint of jealousy or envy or pride or I want to be the focus here. The focus of the best man is to be the bride and groom. He supplies the rings. He's supposed to organize the day. And those, sometimes they're not that really that good. Human best men, but the best man in this role here focuses on the bride and groom. The focus of John the Baptist is on Jesus and his people. The focus of the church is on the Savior and the saved. John the Baptist knew who he was. Do we? Do I? Third thing he says is, my role is diminishing. My role is given. My role is to be the best man, not the groom. My role is diminishing. Verse 30, this famous verse, he must become greater, I must become less. Uh, Another must here, a double must, you'll notice. As the best man, he has helped announce the marriage. Now he steps back and he asks Jesus, the groom, to take center stage. It's all about Jesus, you see. It's all for Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. This is what we are to be about, you see, seeing Jesus being lifted up. It's not about me. It's about him and the gospel and ministry. How sad it is in the church when power plays go on, and it's more about the person and their little camp or their little influence rather than about the gospel and the importance of that. The temptation for John the Baptist and the temptation for us is that, well, can't I share in a little bit of the glory? Just a little bit for me. Can't we increase just a little bit so that people will say nice things about us, nice things about me, just a little bit, as long as most of it goes to Jesus? Can I not get some? He must become greater. I must become less. And so we lift him up always and be joyful about it. That joy, verse 29, that joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. See, at best, you see, we are a best man or a chief bridesmaid because the focus is on Jesus. See, John the Baptist knew who he was. Do we know who we are, that our role, a role, has been given to us? We're we're not to be the center of our focus. We're simply serving the groom. And our role should constantly be diminishing as he is the center center of focus. Let's quickly move on to, um, to verse 31 to 36, because really, verse 31 to 36 is a commentary on verse 30. He must become greater, I must become less. And these verses explain who he is uh, and explains why verse 30 is so important. Why should he become greater and why should I become less? We become less. Well, there are, there are four reasons there. Because Jesus is above all. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all, and the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth, 
and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So the reason why he must become greater and I must become less is because Jesus is above all. We are created. He is the creator. We are born naturally from the dust and dirt of the ground. You'll see those references there from the earth. But God breathed into that dust of the earth and made us. So we're created, but he's the creator. Jesus comes from above, and he's greater than every other being. That's why he must become greater and we must become less. The second reason there is because Jesus speaks to us, verse 32 and 33. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. See, Jesus speaks to us. That's why he must become greater and we must become less. I mean, the best we can do is um, speculate, guess, create our theories. Mankind does that day and daily, often about God and certainly about his creation. But what we need is a message from God. What we have, in fact, is a message from God. We have one who testifies to what he's seen and heard. He is Jesus, and he is the Word. So, why don't more people accept his eyewitness testimony? Well, because of pride, because of arrogant unbelief. The reality is, and I think we all can understand that, surely. I hope we're honest enough to realize that it's hard to come under authority, isn't it? It's hard to come under the authority of anyone. It's hard to come under the authority and the word of Jesus because we want to be God. We do. There is within us this desire to be the boss, to be the ruler, to make our own rules, to be king of our lives. So we've got to keep learning. He must increase. I must decrease. He must become greater. I must become less. But verse 33, some do accept. A general rule is that people don't accept his testimony, and the world around us is living testimony to that. But some people do believe, and because they believe, they live. The man, verse 33, the man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. So when we come under his teaching, and when we accept his teaching, we align ourselves with no one less than God. Now, the world will laugh at us, the world will mock us, or the world will ignore us, but no worries, don't, don't get upset by that. Because when you believe, your eyes, your ears, and your minds are open to the truth of God, you know God, you align your soul with God, and nothing can beat that. And you might be the only one in your family, the only one in your workplace who believes, but you've aligned yourself with God. Jesus speaks to us. Verse 34, he must increase, I must decrease because of who he is. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Jesus could speak the word of God because he's filled with the Holy Spirit without limit. And in him, there, there's no limit to his spiritual power. There's no limit to his spiritual wisdom. There's no limit to his spiritual help. I mean, our Savior is limitless. 
grace, limitless love, limitless help. That's why he must increase and I must decrease. And then lastly, verse 35 and 36, because Jesus saves us from uh, eternal wrath to eternal life. The The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands, verse 35. 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There's all kinds of authority, isn't it? We've got authority um, in in marriage with the husband. We have the uh, authority in the family with parents. We have the authority in the church with elders. But this authority to save and to keep is given alone to Jesus. Everything in his hands. You notice that verse 35? The Father loves the Son, and has placed everything in his hands. All authority. And it begins with salvation, which changes us from facing God's wrath to receiving eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so today, you know, the reality is, uh, every single person in this world, every single person in this church, even you, you're either facing wrath or you are receiving eternal life. So which is it? You can see why he must increase and I must decrease because he's the only one who can save. It's all wrapped up in him. Believe him and you'll have life. Reject him and you will have wrath. J.C. Ryle said this, we can never make too much of Christ. We can never have too high thoughts about Christ. We can never love him too much. We can never trust him too implicitly. We can never lay too much weight upon him. We can never speak too highly in his praise. He is worthy of all the honor that we can give him. He will be all in heaven. Let us see to it that he is all in our hearts on earth. So we began with the two musts, must be born again, the Son of Man must be lifted up, the must of new birth, the must of Christ's substitutionary death. That's the plan. It is his plan. And when we accept that plan, trust that plan, we'll know who we are. And we'll know who he is. Praise God for his love and grace. Live the way you're supposed to live. Live well. And die well. Serve the Savior. Because the best is yet to come. Let me pray. Lord, we are... We're challenged by these words because they, they cut to our hearts about pride and about who we think we are. It's not our agenda. It's not our glory. It's all about Jesus. Will you awaken our hearts today to realize he must always become greater and I must always become less. Will you write that on our hearts? Because there's no one like Jesus.
and there's nothing like Jesus. Will you open up the eyes of our hearts to see you, to experience you, to believe in you, to glorify you and enjoy you? Please, God, have your way because we need, we need to have your way in our lives. We pray for this in the name of Jesus. Amen.